out if you would please. Matthew chapter 22 is where we're starting. If you still need notes, keep your hands raised so the ushers can see you. You'll want those for this message here. I'm going to have you fill out some things in just a little bit. So if you don't have one, make sure you get one in your hands. The rest of you go to Matthew chapter 22. You can also go in your YouVersion app to see the notes there as well. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, over the past couple of weeks, the pa Pastor Ross has been doing this series called Love Where You Live. And actually, it's a citywide initiative that over 250 other churches are being a part of during these couple months. And, and the initiative is where we're talking about this issue of loving our neighbors, how to bring the love and the light of God then into our neighborhoods. The, the problem, I think, as soon as we start talking about this, the problem for so many of us is the issue of time. I think time has to probably be the greatest obstacle and for us to really embrace and take this commandment seriously. How many would admit that, yeah, Pastor, you know, time is an issue for me. If I'm going to really take time to meet my neighbors, love my neighbors, time is a major factor. How many are there with me? So I've been in my neighborhood for only three months, and so everybody is new. I don't know anybody in my, in my little neighborhood there. And so the idea that I need to go and introduce myself and love on and speak to all of these different neighbors around me, can I just be honest, is absolutely overwhelming. Yeah. It's absolutely overwhelming, you know, because all the other, th everything else that I'm doing in my life, to add this on top of it, it's just absolutely overwhelming. I think for so many of us, when we start talking about this, that's how we feel. We have our busy, busy, busy schedules, and now we're told that we need to really do this. We need to love on our neighbors. And, and I think mentally we would agree, right? We understand what Jesus is talking about here, but then to add this to our busy schedule, I think for so many of us, it goes into this category of obligation, these rituals and religious things that we should do, ought to do, need to do, and if Ross pushes us a little strongly, that we know we have to do, right? And so the danger is, is that we can leave the series and these messages and feel completely guilty and condemned, right? And I know this, we've only been doing this for a couple of weeks, and that's exactly what comes to my mind, a new guy in a, in a new neighborhood, this issue of just bringing this on top of everything else that we have to do. But I want you to look at how Jesus really explains this. Look at this again in verse 36. He says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. I think for so many of us, we make life very complicated, don't we? Come on. We make life very complicated. I think so many of us, and you've maybe said it yourself or you heard other people talk about it, and then the issue is, what is my purpose? I don't know what my purpose is. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in life. You know, I don't know what God wants to do in and through me. Been there? You know, I can't tell you how many people have been in my office over the years, and that is the question. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what God wants to do in and through my life. But I want you to notice how Jesus makes it very simple. He says, you have a grand purpose while you're breathing and living here on planet Earth. And it's just simply twofold. Love God with everything within you, all your passion, everything, your strength. Put all that towards loving God. And then secondly, love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
He makes it this simple. Let me, let me say it this way, because I think, I think it's important for us to understand that you're not a human being who's trying to have spiritual experiences, but you're a spiritual being, and this is simply a temporary human experience that you're having. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, did you get, did you get it? Come on. All right. Listen to me again. You're not a human being trying to have these temporary spiritual experiences. You're not just coming here on Sunday to get a spiritual buzz and then to move on with the rest of your human life. You are a spiritual being. You're an eternal being. And this is simply a temporary human experience that you're having. And so what Jesus is describing here, that while you're having this human experience here, that your primary purpose is to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That is it. Everything else you add on top of that. He makes it very, very simple for us. This is our primary purpose. And so I want you to take a minute. They're in your notes. This is why you needed notes. I want you to evaluate yourself how you're doing. Take just a second here. When you're, you're thinking about loving God, if this is one of your primary purposes, then evaluate yourself. How are you doing with it? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being poor, 10 being perfect, that you've arrived, how are you doing and actually loving God? Come on, mark yourself a little... On, that, on there, mark yourself a score on how you feel like you're doing in loving God. All right, you got your score now? Okay. Now, let's look at the second one. Loving others, loving your neighbor. How are you doing there? Same sort of thing. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being poorly, and 10 being you're doing it perfect. On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing in loving others and loving your neighbors? Go ahead and mark down your score there. All right, now you have your two scores. These are your primary purpose. You should be able to look and see how you're doing with this being your primary thing. So while you're breathing oxygen here on planet Earth, how are you actually doing with these two primary things? Now I want you to put it in perspective here. Look at this in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 20. It says, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Everybody say, ouch. <laughs> now see what the Apostle John is talking about here. Because he's talking about loving God is really a subjective test, right? Whatever score you just put down on your piece of paper, you just grabbed it out of the air and put it right there, right? Depending on how you felt in worship, how Marty led you here this morning, if you feel good, you gave yourself a higher number. If you didn't, you put yourself a lower It's a subjective test, isn't it? But the Apostle John says that loving your neighbor is really the objective test that shows you your score for how you're loving God. Isn't that interesting? Loving your neighbor is, becomes the objective test that shows you your actual score of how you're doing in loving God. And this is why loving our neighbors is such a big, big deal. But the problem, like I just mentioned, is this issue of time. This issue of time that keeps on getting in our ways. I know that I need to do this, but yet I do not have enough time. Well, I want you to consider here this morning how you're using your time. And I want to use the example of a 22-year-old. How many are you in, in your 20s? Raise your hand. Let's see. Those of you in your 20s, fantastic. We all wish we were still in our 20s. Those of you who are younger, you'll be able to extrapolate a little bit higher what these numbers are. And those of you who are older than 22, you just do what I do, and that's in your head, you just still pretend like you're 22. 
Forever, I, forever in my head, I'm 22 years old. I know, I know I probably don't look like that anymore, but how I think of myself and how in my mind's eye what I think I am, I'm 22 years old. The only problem is the older I get, my body tends to expose the fact that I can no longer do what a 22-year-old could do. But nevertheless, I like the deception. <laughs> I like thinking that I'm 22 years old. And so just follow the numbers here. So I'm basing this upon a 22-year-old. So if you're 22 years old, that means you've been living for 264 months, You've been breathing for 1,144 weeks. You've been going through the motions for 8,008 days. That's 192,192 minutes or 11,531,520 minutes. So that's how long you've been taking oxygen off of this planet. That's how long that you have lived. Now, during these 22 years, what have you been doing? Well, you've been going to school. You've been going to school for 3,060 days which means you spent 18,360 hours in classes, which translates into 1,101,600 minutes that you've been sitting in a school classroom. How many are sick and tired of school? <laughs> this is why, right? Now you understand why you're sick and tired of school. It's because you've been sitting there for so long. In addition, during these past 22 years, you've slept 64,064 hours. <laughs> all right, now we all can be happy, right? You've watched TV for 14,880 hours, and you spent 9,152 hours eating. Mostly pizza and junk food. You're 22 years old, right? So this has been your life so far. This is, if you're 22 years old, this is a snapshot of how you have used your time. Are you impressed? It's been an eventful life so far, right? Now, statistics show that... If you're 22 years old, you have about 48 more years to live. The average person lives 70 years, okay? So if you're 22 years old, statistically speaking, that means you have 48 more years to live here on planet Earth. So what are you going to do through these next 48 years? Well, first of all, 16.5 years out of those 48 years, you're just going to sleep. <laughs> you're just going to sleep for 16.5 years out of those 48 years. So automatically, those are done. 9.6 years, you're going to work, which is a good thing. 5.5 years, you get to play. So you do have some excitement and some fun in your life still. 4.1 years, you're going to eat. And I, I, as a newcomer here to Austin, I'm so thankful I get to spend my days here in Austin because the food here is fantastic. So I'm gonna spend, if I'm going to spend this many years eating, I'm glad I'm here in Austin. Anybody have an amen to that one? You're going to spend 3.4 years driving, unfortunately, because we live here in Austin. You may have to add years to that one. <laughs> you're going to spend 2.7 years talking. Now, I said in the first service that if you're an I personality, you need to add years to this. Our whole staff here, I think, are all I's. We spend so much time talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking that <laughs> But I figure, I, I shared here, in my family, most of our, my, my kids are not eyes, but our fourth child, Sheldon, who's still in our home, he's 14 years, 15 years old, and he's a pure eye, and from the, right when he came out of the womb, he started talking, and he hasn't stopped talking these past, past 15 years. Even when he couldn't speak English, he was still talking. But it got really interesting when he started speaking English because then we could understand what his gibberish was. And he had this thing that he would always do when he would get up in the morning because he was, he was 
he was always he has such a cheery disposition very always 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 happy unless he's sick and and so he was always one of the first ones to get up, and he would either crawl out of his crib or get out of his bed, and he would come into our bedroom, and, you know, we're, this is our fourth child. We're tired, so Courtney and I, we're still in bed. <laughs> and so we're still trying to get as much sleep as we can. Well, Sheldon would always climb up into our bed, and he would just sit and just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And we're trying to ignore him. We're trying just to go back to sleep, and he's just talking and talking and talking and talking. Well, one day, he got, I think he finally got frustrated and figured out what we were doing, so he grabbed a hold of Courtney's face, and looked at her eyes and said, talk to me. <laughs> so we've spent the next 14 years talking to him. <clears throat> so if you're one of these types of personalities, you're going to have to add some more years to this talking, okay? Um, you're going to do another 2.1 years going to school, and you'll spend 2.1 years just being sick. That stinks, right? And two years reading and studying. So that's your next 48 years. If you're 22 years old, that's what your next 48 years are going to look like. And isn't it interesting, all you who are older than 22, how quickly time goes by. It goes by just about as fast as I just read all that. That's how it feels. But this is your life in a snapshot. But I want you to notice how nothing in these statistics shows anything about you spending time with your neighbors. <laughs> it, there's no room for that. You're spending all your years doing all these other times, all these other things that there's just nothing, there's nothing about spending time here with your neighbors. And so the question that I have that I want you to wrestle with is why? Why? Because it's pretty clear in Scripture, God says this is your primary purpose. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbors. It doesn't get any more simple than that, but yet it doesn't even come on to the statistics of how we live our life. So why? I think one of the major reasons is because we don't get to choose our neighbors. Think about that. We don't get to choose our neighbors. We're assigned our neighbors, or they just move into our neighborhood. But I didn't get to line you up and interview you and say, oh, yeah, I really like you. I want you to be my neighbor. We don't get that. We're just, we, it's just, we, we get to choose the house, yes, or the apartment, yes. But we don't get to choose the people that are around us. And so I think this is really interesting because everything else in our life we get to choose. And we choose it because we like it and we want it to be a part of our life. But our neighbors, we don't. I think this is a significant because we make time for those things that are important in our lives. Don't we? We make time for the things that are important in our lives. And so when I say, I don't have time to get together, to meet, to talk with, to get to know my neighbors, what I'm actually saying is that I consider getting to know my neighbors how I consider, I don't consider getting to know my neighbors as important as everything else that I'm doing. I don't consider it nearly as important as everything else that I'm doing. I think this then is the disconnect that we live with. There's a tension in most of our lives between the urgent and the important. And so when I prioritize, when my priorities are determined by the urgent, then those things that, are, that I consider good intentions, those things that I consider values, if my priorities are determined by, by the urgent, then it's, my life's not going to match up to what my values are. Do you hear me? You can have great intentions. You can have incredible values and say, this is how I want to live my life. But if your priorities are determined by the urgent, your life won't match up to what you say you believe. You say, what, these are my values, or this is what my life, I want my life to be like. John Ortberg, in his book, the life you've always wanted. He says it this way. He says, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. Love and hurry are not at all compatible because love always takes time and time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. Isn't that true? 
Think about the disconnect. Because we say that we love people. We say that we believe in heaven and hell. But yet when it comes to how we actually live our lives, time becomes the obstacle that keeps us from truly living out these good intentions and these values that we say that we believe in. And so we have to address this. And so I want you to think about how Jesus lived his life. I want you to think of how Jesus addressed this issue of time because he still had, he had the same 24 hours that you and I do, right? He didn't have more time than we did. But when you look at his life, he accomplished a lot. He did a lot, but he, he wasn't feverish in what he did. He wasn't just running around with, like a chicken with his head chopped off, running from one thing to another thing. There was purpose in everything that, that he did. Jesus got a lot done. He had time for people. He had time for conversations. And probably more importantly, he had time for interruptions. And I think that's the thing that bugs most of us. So I'm a D personality. I'm a choleric personality, and I'm driven. And I have a predetermined course to everything that I do, and I have a very pa fast pace in what I do. And so the idea of somebody interrupting what I want to do is the most exasperating thing in my day. And so how did Jesus address this? Because he was pretty determined, wasn't he? He was pretty purposeful, wasn't he? So how did he address these interruptions? Well, look at this in John chapter 5, because I think it exposed to us the key. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So I think Jesus is showing us a simpler way to address this issue of time that keeps us from falling into that should do and ought to do category. I think most of us live by a should do, ought to do regimen in our life. But Jesus lived his life in a way that he addresses this time issue that keeps it out of the should do and out of the ought to do category. And he did it because he engaged himself in a continual conversation with God. Now follow me here. Because this is the key that's going to keep you, when we're talking about loving God and loving our neighbors, this is going to keep it out of the religious obligation of I have to do this and leaving here feeling guilty and condemned. Because that's not at all how Jesus lived his life. Instead of running around, just back and forth, doing all these types of things, instead of just living by other people's expectations, Jesus just simply tuned his ear to the voice of his Father and then simply did what God told him to do. And as a result, he accomplished a lot. He did a lot, and he had a lot of interruptions in his life. But it was navigated by the voice of God as he tuned his ear to the voice of God. And so I want you to think about that now for your life. Because when we argue about this issue of time and loving our neighbors and bringing the love of God into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods, Instead of it being an issue of I don't have enough time or this is an interruption into my day, make it an issue of listening to God, which means I got to be willing to stop and listen. I got to be willing to slow down and listen. I got to be willing at any moment that there might be an interruption in my day because God's beginning to speak to me. So as I drive into my neighborhood, instead of just putting the, the pedal to the metal and hurriedly getting into my garage and shutting my garage down and, and, then, and then locking myself in my fortress, instead, I'm taking my time. And I know I've just spent 45 minutes in traffic and I can hardly wait to get into my house and just relax. But instead, I'm slowing down, and I'm looking as I'm driving. I'm looking at my neighbors. I'm praying for my, my neighbors. 
I'm being aware of what's happening in my apartment complex and the condos that I'm around, and I'm paying attention, listening, if God would have me do something. And if he doesn't, then I just walk in, and I sit down, and I sit on my couch, and I relax. But I'm open, I'm open to God's interaction with me that says, just go talk, go talk to your neighbor here, go introduce yourself, go do this act of kindness, you know, go bake a dozen cookies and bring them over to your neighbor, go help your neighbor mow the grass, he's out there mowing right now, he's doing it all by himself, why don't you go offer to help do the trimming instead of him just doing it by himself. Being open to that interaction from God versus a list of do's and don'ts that you check off your sheet, because we're talking about it here in Sunday service. You follow me here? I want to share a story here this morning um, of how impactful this can be. Because uh, my wife, Courtney, her and her family experience at, an early, at her early age of the interaction in a neighbor and how it transformed their family. When she was in fourth grade, her mom and dad got a divorce, and it wasn't one of those amicable divorces where everybody was friendly through it. It was, it was a very hostile, hostile divorce that created so much turmoil and agony through that whole process. And I asked Courtney if I could share that story with you because it talks about the impact of one neighbor and the impact that one neighbor can have in their family. I want you to listen to what she, what she writes. She says, it was 1978. I was in fourth grade, and my parents had just gone through a bitter and angry divorce. Shortly after the divorce, my mom and my sister, and I moved from Washington, D.C. to Colorado Springs to try and start over. My mom was in a hurry to find a house and ended up having to buy one in a neighborhood she didn't like. My mom was in a dark and desperate and hopeless place. The betrayal from the divorce sent her spiraling into depression and sadness and anger like I've never seen. A few days after moving into the new house, our neighbor from across the street came over to meet us. Her name was Mary. I don't think Mary realized the state of our family, but she was a Christian and was willing to be used by God. During that first year, Mary would walk across the street to our house every night to sit with my mom. She wasn't a licensed counselor, and she never went through training on how to deal with someone with depression or rage or anger. She was just a stay-at-home mom with three kids of her own who were about the same age as Kelly and me. When Mary came over, she mostly did three things. She listened, she prayed with my mom, and she read scriptures to my mom. I was never really a part of those conversations, and all I know is that my mom was always in a better place when Mary left. It was a long, difficult journey, and things didn't change overnight. In addition to sitting and praying with my mom, Mary also did acts of kindness for us. Because my mom was a working single mom, there were many times Mary would do our grocery shopping, she would run errands, or even bring us dinner. As the years went on, Mary had to come over less and less, but she faithfully walked the journey with my mom for well over 10 years. During this time, she introduced us to a life-giving church, and we all made decisions for Christ. Given the environment that Kelly and I grew up in, we should have been high risk for destructive teenage behaviors. But because of the faithfulness and the love of a neighbor, we both turned out reasonably well. We both married pastors, and we were both serving the Lord. I know that it was no mistake that Mary was our neighbor. And by her willingness to be available, she not only changed eternity for my mom and for my sister and for me, but I also believe she'll be rewarded in heaven for every life that we now touch, for every life my kids touch, and down through the generations. One person changed an entire lineage for generations to come. I know that we often say we can't afford, we can't afford not to give up some time from our neighbors, but Mary wasn't a pastor or an evangelist. She was just a neighbor, 
but the impact that she made is powerful, and for that I am forever grateful. The impact of one neighbor on a family. I want you to think about that, because all that Mary simply did was respond to the voice of God in her, just to reach out and to talk, to introduce herself to her new neighbors. And through that and through time, the conversation began to open about what was going on in life. And she just simply listened, and then when eventually she would start praying, and eventually she would read scripture. And over those years and years, Courtney's mom experienced healing and deliverance and eventually came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the healer. It was through this one neighbor that transformed an entire family. Talk about inconvenience. She did this for 10 years. Talk about inconvenience. Talk about turning your schedule upside down. But listen, eternity has been affected by this one neighbor's interaction with this family. And I'm grateful because I have a wife now who's a godly wife. And I have four amazing kids because of this one neighbor. This one person did that, folks. We need to be that neighbor. There's only one thing that you can take to heaven with you, and that's people. That's it. And that's why God said, this is your primary purpose. Just love God with all your heart. Oh, but don't forget about the people that are around you. Love people desperately. Interact with them. Spend time with them. Just love on them. Just do simple acts of kindness. Because in that, their hearts will begin to open up. And time and opportunity may happen that may affect eternity. As we end here this morning, the team's going to lead us in one more song as we finish service. And, and as we're singing here this last time, I want you to just open up your heart to what God may speak to you about your neighborhood, about your apartment complex, the people that are around you. Maybe already God's been stirring in your heart about some people that are around you. Maybe he's been bringing faces to your mind, names to your mind, of people that are in your neighborhood, and, and thoughts and ideas of how you can love and interact and maybe bring acts of kindness and just come alongside of the people in your neighborhood. And so don't just be passive with it. Don't just dismiss it. You know, as we sing here and as we worship here as we end, let God just begin to stir that in you and, and let him begin to give you just ideas of how and when to do that type of thing. But then as well as we end here, I realize that for some of you, the story that I shared about Courtney's mom may be stirring up things in you about what's going on in your life. You may be right where Courtney's mom was 40 years ago. And you may be that place of desperation, that place of hopelessness, that place where you can't see your way through. It's just so dark, you don't know how to get it through. And it feels like your life is crumbling around you. Everything that you thought was true now, all of a sudden is in total chaos. I'm so glad that you're here today because all around you are neighbors who wanna love you, who want to support you, who want to encourage you, who want to walk with you through this, who will pray with you, who will hold your hands as you're going through this. We want to be your family. You're not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. And so as we end here, we're going to have people up front that are just here to just love on you, to pray with you. No matter what's going on, they're here to stand beside you. And so we always have people here at the end of the service to do that, but but even more here this morning that we'll have people here that are just going to pray with you. So if you're going through something like that, if you're going through your own personal crisis, 
and you just feel lost and you just want somebody to come alongside of you, we'll have people that will be up here front to pray with you. Come on, let's stand to your feet here. And let's pray, let me just pray here as we enter into this last song here together. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that you are with us here today. I thank you for your presence that's amongst us. God, I thank you for how you're stirring our hearts. God, I thank you that we're not here by ourselves, that we don't just have to go through things by ourselves, that, that God, that when, when things are going well, we can be those who reach out and help others and pull them up. And, and God, when things are just crumbling around us, God, you put us in a family, you put it, you surround us with people who will love us and encourage us and pray with us and walk through us. And so, Father, I pray right now, Father, for every neighbor that this week that we would show your love and light to those that you bring across our path. God, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't just tune a deaf ear to that, but God, that we would stop and listen to your voice and then simply respond to what you're telling us to do. And then, Father, I pray for each person here today who needs a neighbor, who needs a Mary in their life, who will come alongside of them and hold their hands and love on them and listen to them and pray for them so that they're not alone. God, I pray that your presence here today would speak peace and hope and life in the midst of them. God, bring your healing to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward.